Hi. How are you? Good. Well, I get to finish our series on future parenting, talking about, or a future family talking about parenting today. And, and I don't know uh, if you're like me, but this is kind of a, makes me a little bit nervous to talk about this. I first of all need to discover who's here today. Own this boldly. You're in one or uh, the other group, so just own either one boldly. How many of you are not parents? Many of the students are not parents. Others of them are not parents. Thank you very much. I wanted to identify you primarily because you're who I want to sit by when I go out to eat at restaurants. Yeah. Okay, the rest of us, I'm included. How many of your parents here? There we go. Yeah, some of you had enough energy to get your hand past your elbow. I understand. Yeah, there we go. You know, talking about parenting can be a, a difficult topic. Difficult because not all of us are parents. Some of us wish we could be. Some of us are parents and things didn't turn out as well as we thought. But we all have this in common. We all have parents. But even that can be problematic for us, can't it? We have to start out with a little bit of fun. So take a look at some parenting fails. You're at least better than this guy who took his kid out to play. Yeah. Or how about these parents that misread the memo from school? They thought it said pajama day instead of picture day. A definite fail. Yeah. Or this uh, beautiful couple that decided to hire a professional photographer and they said, watch us swing our kid. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Well, if that's where we don't want to shoot, where do we want to shoot? You'll notice on your handout, you'll notice on the screen, this beautiful proverb. It says, children's children are a crown to the aged. Parents are the pride of their children. That's the goal. But isn't it true that often when we aspire towards something that's that beautiful and delicious, that often our current reality is something less than that. And that's true for us today. That's how it's supposed to be, but it may not be the way it's been or the way that it is. So let's make a deal together. We've already agreed that we're probably a group of imperfect people, so let's agree that today is not going to be about regrets, but it's going to be about making decisions today for a better future. Last week, Ann and I saw a sign in a Maui shop, and it said, don't look back. That's not where you're headed. Today, let's make that our motto. I love how Moses said it in the psalm. It's Psalm chapter 90. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, Shannon Swanick, uh, you're here in this service. This week, you made a post. You didn't know that I... Now I've outed myself. I'm actually looking at Facebook. I know I shouldn't have told you, but I'm not on Messenger. Don't try to reach me that way. But it was a wonderful meme, Shannon, that you put up, and it said this. It says, there are only 940 Saturdays between your child's birth and them leaving for college. Moses said, teach us to number our days so that we can have a heart of wisdom. Listen, folks. If you have kids of any age, you are important in their lives. I recently was talking to a friend. He was 
experiencing a riff in his relationship with his uh, adult son. And I said to him, I said, you, you are still important to your son. He still cares what you think. And he always cares about what you think about him. We're important. Well, let's launch by talking about four parent roles. And that's going to create a foundation for us as we move forward. For some of you, you're going to be thinking about your parents. For some of you, you're going to be thinking about your kids. For some of you, you're going to be thinking about siblings and nieces and nephews. We all have relationships that are going to come to mind. Notice these four different parenting roles of different ages and different stages. Number one is caregiver. Yeah, You can count on it. That little burger has a regular cycle. You didn't know that if you have a tiny one in your home. Here it is. It's eat, sleep, wet, cry, dry, cuddle. Repeat. Eat, sleep, wet, cry, dry, cuddle. There you go. And you either love this stage or you can't wait for it to be done. Yeah. And then, and then you're a director, which is what most of us love being. You get to tell them exactly what to do and what not to do. Yeah. And then unfortunately they get taller and you have to shift to coach. And this is where a parent begins to help identify options and give advice and recommendations and negotiate in helping this person become a mature adult. And finally, a friend. Now, it's a special peer friendship. You're always a parent, but now the relationship is marked with a friendship. Now, if that model is interesting to you, 51 Sundays ago, I gave a whole talk about that. So you can go to ecc4.org, or you can go to the app and go back to May the 7th of 17, And the series was called Awkward Family Photos, and the talk is called Flexible Parenting. And you can read and hear more about that. But let's take that foundation and launch off of it for a moment from the point of view of a child's development. First of all, she is an infant or a toddler. And what does she need? Say it with me. She needs a a caregiver. Yeah. And she lets you know that, doesn't she? Uh Uh-huh. If you have uh, an infant and you're here, you were too tired to respond. Here we go. So number two, it's childhood. A child needs a, a director. Yeah. Now, what is happening in their development is that they are substantially identified with you as parent. And now they're beginning to make these little forays out into the world with some other friends. But they run back from those friends and they come to you The primary identity is still there. And during that season, you are a director, both positive and negative. They say the balloon across the street, and you direct them, don't run as they try to run. Or you positively direct them, stay here with daddy so they don't run. The director. And then as they get taller, they become adolescents and they're students, and they need a what? A coach. Now, this can be an awkward time. And for those of you that are students here, my heart goes out for you as well as for parents. It is an awkward and confusing time because what is happening is the student's primary identity with parents is now shifting as they differentiate from parent, and they are now creating an identity among friends and peers. It's very painful for parents, even if it's done gently. So if the gentle and wise student says, Dad, thanks for the invitation, but I really want to be with my friends tonight, that feels bad for the dad. But at least it wasn't harsh. It can be not so pleasant 
It can be I hate you right now with the door slam. And a very similar thing is taking place as, as this moving toward young adult is trying to discover an identity that's separate from the parents and is finding one that's engaged in the community. And parents have a lot of fears at this point in life. And we can do some very dumb things out of loving fear and trying to artificially protect our kids. Instead, we get to be a coach in the middle of that and help them negotiate this. Because the third stage of development, young adult, is really what your goal is all about as a parent. It's helping them at 25 to 27 when the prefrontal cortex of the brain actually gets done and the brain is fully developed, where now it is not a matter of I am only identified by my parents, I am only identifying myself among my friends, but it's a place of independence in the middle of self-identity that now makes it possible for there to be a parent-child friendship and a peer-friend friendship as well. That's the healthy future that we look forward to. Now, I encourage parents to be very thoughtful about the first four because you're going to benefit from the last three <laughs> or not. <laughs> and as these get progressively later in life, you may be more interested in this assistance. What happens when the kid becomes middle adulthood? Well, now the parent may be a coachee. Yeah. It works like this in our household. Hey, Jordan, how does this app work? Uh, Lauren, remind me again of how to get that twirly little rainbow swirly thing off of my MacBook Pro. Yeah, yeah, the coachee. And in late adulthood, the parent may need to be directed. Hey, Dad, is it time for us to help you out with the finances? Would you like for me to pay the bills and maybe keep your checkbook up? And then at the end of the life, it's possible for a parent to find herself in the role of being caretaken by a child or by children. So your homework this week, I'm just going to get it out of the way right now. Your homework for this week is to take this outline and to reflect on these seven stages and to be thoughtful 360 about your life. Your parents, if you have kids, kids, siblings, nieces, nephews, your own children, grandchildren, and and think about, think about how life worked well as these various ages and stages were understood and honored and how life might have worked better in some of those relationships had people been aware of the various ages and stages. Because it's my conviction that most parents do not struggle with doing the right thing. But rather, they struggle with doing the right thing at the wrong time. Anna and I have officiated lots of weddings. And so we have seen uh, parents on occasion uh, so engaged with their son or their daughter who's getting married that they're acting like caregivers. And we say to them, you know, this is not working well. They say, it's just because I love them so much. Yeah, I get that. But if you continue to love them so much like that, it's not going to be helpful for them in their marriage and their adult life. Similarly, you, you don't coach a two-year-old that's about to cross the street, across four lanes of traffic to chase the balloon, right? You direct there. Different ages and different stages. Now, that helps us come face-to-face -face with three parenting realities. And you know around here, we just think the facts are our friends. We think the truth sets us free. We'd rather deal with reality, even if it's a little bit painful in the moment, than, than be in a delusion, right? So 
you're, I'm going to get out, done with this in like three minutes, but we're going we're to hit ourselves in the face with, with three realities. And here they are. Number one, know your role and act appropriately in that role. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm just like you, those of you that had parents of young adults. I'd never done that before. I totally missed the class on how to be a good father-in-law. Totally. So when our two kids got married, <clears throat> uh, fairly close to each other. Now we had four young adult children in our extended family. And uh, I got the four of them together and I gave them a little speech. And the speech went something like this. I've never been the dad of an adult married child before. And I have never been a father-in-law before. And I am doing my very best right now. If you don't like what I'm doing and don't tell me, you're going to get more of this better for 60 years. Yeah. So I'm inviting you now and I'm leaving the door open that if I'm irritating you in some way, it's entirely on you to let me know about that because I'm about as well-informed and as good-hearted as I'm going to be. Yeah, different ages and different stages. Know your role and act appropriately in that, in that role. Uh, when our kids were students in high school, uh, Ann and I decided that we, we thought it would be kind of cool if our kids dated, if they wanted to. And we thought that because we've watched many parents, and they tend to lurch between two extremes with dating. On one hand, it's like, do whatever you want, just go to, don't get into bad trouble. And on the other hand, it's, you'll never date until you're married. Uh, you know how that works, don't you? Yeah. They never date, as far as you know. Yeah. So on one hand, it's abdication, and on the other hand, it's false control. Somewhere in the middle, there's coaching. It dawned on Ann and me, if we were going to have the opportunity to coach in dating, it would probably only happen when our kids were living with us in our home. Different times and seasons, different roles, and different functions. The second reality is that, well, this is kind of tough, but we all know it's true. Parents cannot make up for lost time. There are regrets. I know that. But time only starts with the present with decisions toward a better future. So you might have traveled too much when he was a toddler. He's 15. He's upstairs in his bedroom. Don't text him and say, why don't you come down so we can play peekaboo? <laughs> it's just not there. We understand that. But there's hope. And that's what number three is, that there are, there are opportunities at every age and every stage, unless you let them pass. Today is about the present, making good decisions for a future. Well, what does wise parenting look like anyway? The Bible, uh, interestingly, as important as the topic of family is, gives us very specific and brief instructions. I think it's the KISS principle. I've been told by educators I shouldn't use the word stupid, so I'm going to avoid using the word stupid at the end of KISS. And I'll just say keep it simple. Yeah. yeah. I think the Bible keeps it simple. It's so important that the very most important things we need to be clear on and capture. Ephesians chapters 5 and 6 talk about the family Unit. I want to read part of the passage, then I want to unpack it with you and discover what it means to us. It says this, 
submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Pause. He's beginning his introduction to his topic about marriage, husbands and wives, and he starts with this general principle, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He wraps it up at the end by saying that should be demonstrated by love and respect. And then he continues. This isn't a seminar on marriage today or a talk. It's about parenting. So we're going to move on to chapter six where he just continues now through the household and he addresses children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. You know that 10 commandment, honor your father and mother. The first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, now fathers, don't exasperate your children and instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. What in the world is that all about? (laughs) Same paragraph, same household. Here we go. Paul is describing the dynamic relationship and interplay of family relationships. Now, you know that we absolutely believe that the Bible is God's inspired word, utterly and absolutely truthful. We also know that it was inspired through different individuals over hundreds of thousands of years in different cultural contexts using different literary genre to present that truth to us. And so we want to discover, first of all, where was this said and to whom, and how can we make sense of slaves and children being in the same paragraph? So as Paul's writing in this first century Greco-Roman world, he's describing the oikos, which is the Greek word in the Bible used for household. It describes the whole unit. And not only the Greek and the Roman cultures were patriarchy, patri- uh, patriarchies, but also most historic and ancient cultures were patriarchies as well. And so Paul is writing, and he specifically addresses dads. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Encourage them instead. Now, he was writing to dads because in that culture, the dads made all of the decisions for the family. I don't know about you, but that's not how it works in our family. That's not how it works in most of our culture. You see, in that culture, in the Oikos, slaves were very much a part of the family, and they were the majority of the household in most households. 80% of the citizens of Ephesus, the city to whom this letter was written, were slaves, four out of five people, and they lived in people's homes. And they had the same civil rights as a goat. Just above the slaves were the children. If the kids ticked dad off too much, he could kill them with impunity. Just above the kids was the wife. She was owned as a part of the estate of the husband. And she had essentially no human rights separate from his. Dads were king. I think... As we take a look at this passage, we understand why Paul wrote to dads. I think maybe today he would have said, moms and dads, don't exasperate your kids, but encourage them. And I think we have a sense about the cultural context because our aversion to slavery, which doesn't that just evoke emotion for you and tension, of course, demonstrates to us the very different cultural context in which we're living. 
When Jewish scholars would look at uh, religious literature, they would often ask the question, what is the direct command for us to do? And often commands are put in a negative language, as it is here today. Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but train them and encourage them in the Lord. And they would take a look at that command and they would say, what does that mean? And then they would know that beyond the immediate specific literal meaning that there was probably a principle that would give a range of understanding and they would tease that out. And then they would flip the command over to the positive corollary and they would ask the question, what would it look like for us to positively address this issue? And that's how we're going to unpack it today. Our question to ourselves is, so what did this mean? What does it mean? And how can we live it out this week? And that sounds a lot like Evergreen, doesn't it? That's what we do. And we are an application activist church. So if you don't want to work the following week, don't come to church on Sunday at Evergreen because we always end with stuff to do, don't we? Because that's our question. As we take the Bible very seriously, what did it mean? What does it mean? And how can I apply it to my life this week? So in part two, in the second half of this talk, let's take a look at five implications, five ways that we can be an encouragement to our kids. Number one, here we go. Create a sense of security by fighting for a strong marriage. Hmm. Now, I know, I know, in this diverse community, when I start with a statement like that, that it can evoke all kinds of things for so many of you. Some of you are not married yet. You hope to be. Some of you aren't married. You chose not to be. Some of you, some of you are married. You don't have children. Some of you are single again. We, we just have so many different life experiences Listen, I want to take just a moment to acknowledge some of my heroes. Some of the people that I admire the most are single parents. Maybe they're single and they have a kid or kids, or maybe they're single again. Maybe they're custodial or non-custodial parents. Is it more of a challenge to be a parent when you're the one? Of course. Is it impossible? No. And today you get to make the same decisions in the present toward a better future that Everyone else is invited to make. But let me talk for just a minute about the parents. And you'll notice, you'll notice that the starting point for Paul in the Bible to talk about parent-child relationships is to address, first of all, the, the mom and the dad in the mix. Wise parenting starts with family relationships and marriage. I got to visit Joe Gibbs' NASCAR shop in Charlotte, North Carolina, Go ahead and fess up. How many NASCAR fans are here today? Put your hand up boldly and bravely. There we go. Awesome. Nine of you. <laughs> you northerners, what's wrong with you? I'm thinking about wearing um, patches of endorsements myself. <laughs> uh, I think there's something really attractive if if you have any uh, in with M&Ms, would you let them know I'm available? In fact, I'll even widen my body again if I can, if necessary, yeah. So I got to visit, now I'm not a particular fan, but I'll tell you, when I say Joe Gibbs shop, it is a grand multi-store uh, floor structure. It is glass, it is rounded, it's curved, it is beautiful. And when we went actually into the floor, you could eat off that floor. 
Kyle Busch, some of you have heard of Kyle Busch, yeah, one of the drivers, the number 18 car. I assumed there was a number 18 car. Little did I know, there's 12 number 18 cars. They're lined up in a row, and when I mean row, I mean precise, to a millimeter, there's number 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18. That's why they can crash them all the time, yeah. <laughs> now, those of you that are stock car fans, you know, you know that it takes courage and skill to drive fast. We get that. Driving that close, over 200 miles an hour, that takes skill. But the really smart part of stock car racing is when and how to take pit stops. There's an assumption that they're not going to drive the whole race, that they're actually going to physically come to a stop when you're going 250 miles an hour at points during the race. It assumes that the driver needs to be hydrated, that the tires need to be changed, that the fuel needs to be replenished, and then they go from the pit stop. No one gets angry about it. The crew chief isn't yelling, why did you pull into the lane? Because if you're going to be successful, you're going to take pit stops. And I say to couples, if you're going to be successful, you better plan to take some pit stops. You are not designed to draft off of the love that was popping in your brain when you fell in love. You know, I talk to couples and I, I hear from them, you know, I married them 10 years ago and then they changed. And I say, good for them. That's the way it's supposed to be. Wouldn't the problem be if they didn't change? We learn and we grow. Hopefully, we grow together. But that's not always the case, is it? Sometimes the tension is that we grow apart. Pit stops can be very helpful for us to discover and understand what, what is going on. Because the real question is, how are you going to live with a partner that is not the same person that you married over the long haul? So a week ago this morning... Ann and I opened the anniversary cards that we gave each other, and, and Ann and hers, she summarized the four decades that we've been married. And guess what I discovered? Life has changed, and we have changed. So I encourage you, if you're a couple, what I encourage you to do is to take intentional pit stops before your relationship runs out of gas. Listen, changes are going to surprise you don't face those alone. Reach out to friends that can help give God's perspective and can help encourage you. Many of us have found it's helpful to reach out for a periodic oil change from a professional counselor who, who, who can help us understand what's going on because generally what we experience is common to people. It's just a surprise and unusual for us. And others can help us think and plan our way through that. I remember that pit stops are important, and we take a look at the starting point for how to have a healthy family, and Paul starts about talking about having a strong marriage. That may help your kids more than anything else. Well, the second way to encourage kids is, is to stay engaged in their world. Notice what it says in Proverbs chapter 22. In fact, would you mind reading it out loud with me, boldly together? Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Yeah. So I think there's two implications here. First of all, uh, start them off in the way and emphasize they, in the way they should go. Uh, if you are a sibling, 
would you agree with me that you are different from your brothers or sisters? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you are a parent and you have more than one child, is it true that God made two very different creatures? Yes. Start them off in the way they should go. Is a sensitivity to this creature that God has made that is different than you and is different than anyone else in your family. There is a sensitivity to loving them for who they are and helping them grow in to who God uniquely designed them to be. Start them off in the way they should go. You do that by being engaged in their life. Secondly, emphasize the word way. Start them off in the way they should go. And the way they should go is to find and follow Jesus. We'll talk about that before we end in a few minutes. So this speaks both about the unique personality, help them be them, and imparting God's wisdom. Help them be a follower of Jesus and engage at each stage along the way. I remember I was uh, kind of scared to have kids. Well, I should rephrase that technically, shouldn't I? Um, I was scared to be a dad and technically had the kids. Yeah. Scared to be a dad. I, by far the youngest in my family, and uh, I'd never babysat. And uh, you, what do you do with this thing? Yeah. And, uh, and Anna was very helpful. Uh, first thing she taught me was how to change diapers. <laughs> no self-interest involved there, I'm sure. Just, yeah. I call that engagement immersion right there. That's right. And as our kids got older, I, I had to intentionally think about engaging in their world. It was quite a shock for me. Things that I thought were cool and neat and fun and hobby-esque, they didn't necessarily resonate with. Yeah. And did you know that I became an expert soccer sufferer? For years, watched lousy soccer games from the sidelines. Yes, engaged in their world. And why is this so important for us? Because this good father that we were just singing about did exactly that for you. John says this in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God decided that the best way to parent you was to come live with you and do life with you. Engagement. I love some of your stories about grandparents, <laughs> especially those of you that have had good grandparent experiences. And what made those visiting grandparents so fun. Was it going to a too hot room, hearing about medications, recent medical procedures, and politics? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's probably not what made it fun. That was the price of admission. <laughs> yeah. What made it fun was it's like the really good grandparents gave you all of their attention, and you felt like you were the most important person in the world. Parents, I understand this is totally unfair. This is not what you get to do 24-7. But I do encourage you parents to be very thoughtful and purposeful about how to engage in their world. The third tip that I want to give you is this. It's simply give them a God-sized perspective on life. I want to tell you that one of the things that's been you know, tough for me just emotionally and, and talking with some of our students over the years here is that, that many kids, even in our 
affluent and blessed culture. Maybe because of our affluent and blessed culture, feel less than. Your kid needs a God perspective. They need more than just that, you know, friendly humanistic nudge of, well, you're kind of failing, but just try harder, or, or that parental, go get them, don't care so much about what your friends think. I think I've said both of those things, and I think I've meant it. But they need something far more than that to navigate the tough time of life. What does the creator of the universe think about them? That's what they need. One of my favorite promises is Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and and to not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. This was given to the nation of Israel at a very difficult time. The low point of their own experience and failure. Your kid messes up. It's 100% his fault. No question about it. What does he need to hear? In part, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, to give you a future, to give you hope. What about those days that she feels like she's not smart enough, she's not good enough, she's not attractive enough, she's not athletic enough? We go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It tells us that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Honey, you are an image bearer of God. I've heard stories of e-kids who because of their ethnicity or their abilities or their looks or their friends or their financial status, have been told things that are not just stupid, but they are cruel and mean. Some of our e-kids have been bullied mercilessly on social media. What you want is for your kid to know that the most important thing in their life is not ever going to be their education or their age or their profession or their friends but you are an image bearer of God. And Evergreen, we're here to help. You saw saw in the invites the kids' stuff that we do around here. This will be shocking for some of you, but on an average Sunday morning like this, half of the people that attend Evergreen are under the age of 18. So take this room and multiply it by by two. That's who's here today. You know we're over the top in how to partner with you and how to assist you into how to engage with you. And grandparents, many of you, bring grandkids here. The parents haven't found their way to make that possible for them. We're crazy about kids here. And here's the deal. We can't do it all, but we can sure partner with you. And I encourage you, get them here. I know what it's like on Sunday. I know what it's like. And by the way, we all take vacation and we're gone from time to time. I get that. But I also know that there's some of those Sunday mornings. You know what they're like. The kids don't want to get up. You drag them out of bed. They don't want to eat right. They don't want to get fed right. The sun is out and a trip to the coast sure sounds handy. I get that. I get that. Yeah. And you can sneak that once in a while, and it's probably perfectly fine. But here is the big deal. Here's the big story. Here's the habit of life. Get them here. We partner with you here. We have a stellar team, both of professionals and volunteers, men and women who have invested their lives in becoming 
uh, professional educators and specialists and servants and people who have prayed and they've planned and they've prepared and classrooms that have been developed. And we have provided a gorgeous place for your kids and students as we partner with you in what you're investing in their lives. The third tip is, is, to, is to give them a God-sized perspective. Well, hey, let's quickly wrap it up with four and five. Number four, be an agent of God's grace. Uh, there's two things that I know for sure. Number one, kids will fail. And number two, guess who? Parents will fail too. Yeah, those are the only givens. So we need a lot of grace. I, I love what Romans 5 says. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I know, I know. I know what you're thinking, some of you. You're thinking, no, that promise sounds wonderful, but I want to come to God, but I'm going to clean up my act a little bit first. You were told that by a religious person that told you exactly the opposite of what God says in the Bible. What he says is on your worst day, I loved you so much that I sent my son to die for you on your worst day. Parents, on their worst day, who are you to them? I know I'm just a sappy old grandpa now and I'm getting sloppy and easy and all that stuff, but you know, sometimes I find parents and they're really struggling with what's the right thing to do with my kid and they really can't figure out do you move the way toward judgment or do you move the way toward mercy? How, how do you balance this thing? Isn't this, a, isn't this the perennial struggle of parents? Yeah. And what I say to them at the end of the day is this. If in doubt, err on the side of mercy. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said it this way. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Be an agent of God's grace. Okay, done with the grandpa thing. Here we go. Number five, wrapping it up. My last hint for you is this. Tell them your God story. They've got to hear your God story. How is God working in your life? Uh, some of you parents were baptized recently here, and, and, and a story or two that I heard was I did that in part, not just to go public with my faith in Christ, but I went in part to tell my God story to my kids to demonstrate to them that Jesus is first in my life. And this is very, very cool. In fact, in addition to, to the invite today, we've added a second baptism. So next month, we're going to baptize on Mother's Day. And then in June, we're going to baptize on Father's Day. And it could well be that there's moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles, and maybe you've followed Jesus for a, a period of time in your life. You just haven't gotten around to being baptized. Hey, this is a fantastic opportunity for you to go to public with your faith and it may mean so much to the kids that are in your life as well. Let's wrap here. The Old Testament is kind of part one of the Bible. Do you think maybe God was thoughtful about what he was going to put in the last verse of part one of the Bible? Knowing that it was going to be 430 years before part two, the New Testament starts? And wouldn't it be interesting if part one ended with the same idea that part two begins with? And if that happened, couldn't it be God emphasizing how very important this idea is? Hmm. Part one ends, fourth chapter of Malachi, by saying, 
I'm looking to the future, and I see one who's going to come. And he is going to, in the power of God's Spirit, is going to turn the hearts of the children to their parents and the hearts of the parents to their children. 430 years later, an event happened that Luke records in chapter 1, verse 17, and he says, And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents toward their children. Listen, however messed up your mom and dad were or are, however much you have failed or seen failure, God is at work today to make that better, to make that better. So before I pray, think about which of these three next steps is the one you're taking today. First step, some of you are here today to get right with God so he can help you get right with life. And as I pray, I'll use words that you might resonate with and you can make your own. Secondly, you might today be taking a step of letting go of past disappointments and regrets. Disappointments of your parents, regrets about yourself, disappointments of your kids. Here's the, here's the deal. Forgiveness sets you free to make present decisions for a better future. Third possibility. Maybe your step is to simply ask for God's power and grace and strength and help this week to be the person that he created you to be in every way. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us so much that you made us and wanting a relationship with so much that you came to live with us and to give your son Jesus to die for us so that we could be utterly forgiven and welcomed fully in your family. We confess our sin to you. And we confess our regrets and failures to you. And we receive your forgiveness. Come, God's Spirit, live in me. We choose to forgive others as you have forgiven us. We forgive parents or other significant adults in our lives who have either tried their best but utterly failed or some of whom were just simply ill-intended and harsh. We forgive. We forgive our children or grandchildren or other significant younger ones in our lives that we have felt responsibility for. We forgive them for choices that they have made that, that have strained our relationship in ways that we wish it weren't. And we ask that you would turn our hearts back toward each other. We forgive ourselves today for the well-intended but dumb things we've done, for the ill-intended, stupid things we've done, for missing it in ways that in retrospect we so regret. We forgive ourselves for everything that you have forgiven us. And we pray together, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit this week that 
You would fill us in ways that would cause us to be more grown into your likeness and image and more filled with your fruit of love and joy and peace and more wise as we accept your mind in us, Lord, and more able to do what we're all about, which is to love God with all we've got and love everybody else. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Would you say it together with me? Amen.